Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 282 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I talk to Demir Slogar of Big Blue Bubble about their amazingly, beautifully animated, engrossing action-adventure game that is Forgone, currently available in early access and the Epic Game Store. So, to find out more about Forgone, please do listen to me from about five or six weeks ago. Chris from the past, if you'd be so kind. Demir. Yes. So, Yes. Who are you? Uh, and what do you do? Who I am? Uh, currently, I am a CEO of Big Blue Bubble, a game development studio from London, Ontario, in Canada. Uh, been there for like some 17 years now. But more specifically, on this uh, game Forgone, I actually took the role of design director. Uh, it's not my typical role. Actually, it's not my role at all. I don't think I did any game design for more than 10 years or been involved with it uh, uh, from a very, very high level. So this is the first time I decided to dig in and return back to something that you used to do back in the days. Speaking of which, I started my careers in, I was in early 80s. I was still in uh, elementary school, high school when I started releasing my first game for... Uh, First for ZX81, then Spectrum later on. So I've been in this industry for well over 30 years. In 90s, I have my TV show about uh, uh, video games. Uh, late 90s, I started uh, the video game magazine that I was editor for five years. Then in 99, I moved to Canada, started working in the Digital Illusions, or DICE, as it's known today, that uh, later become a part of uh, EA, work on franchises like Battlefield, and tons of Barbie games, of course, to have some good leverage of everything, right? Uh, work on all kinds of consoles, uh, PC uh, and everything through the history. And uh, in uh, 2004, I started Big Bull Bubble. And yeah, this has been going on for quite some time. We started as a mobile game development studio. We developed a lot of mobile games, even last seven, eight years, we spent almost predominantly in uh, uh, mobile games, free-to-play space. 
And a few years back, to, to almost two years now ago, I decided, okay, let's do something completely different. Let's move away a little bit from the casual uh, free-to-play space. Let's go uh, into the console PC game development, do more core games, and let's go in the most saturated genre you can imagine. Because if we can make it there, we can make it everywhere. So that's kind of just a bit. Well, it's interesting. Not the first guest that's done this. That's asked it the second question before I've asked it. <laughs> Which is, how did you make your start making video games? And you just naturally slid in like, I'm just going to give my career history now. Which is awesome. <laughs> um, you did mention the Spectrum and the 81 as a, as a as a Brit. I'm very much familiar with those machines. I still have one. Oh, I actually have many Spectrums. Of course I do. Uh, and I actually got the Spectrum Next, which is the new ZX Spectrum that's come out. Uh, oh, it's just right next to me on my table. Actually, <laughs> just after this inter- interview, I'm going to do some work on it. That's it's amazing, all, isn't it? So yeah. Let's just do a bit of a love into the Spectrum Next. What a machine. It's just yeah, it's just beautiful, yeah. When people look at it, go, it's a keyboard. No, it's not. Because <laughs> <laughs> the lay people, they just see a keyboard. They look closer and go... What's with all those weird stuff on it? It's like, yeah, that's all, every key's a function key. What? Yeah. Yeah. And I waited two years for it, so yeah, it, it was worth it, really. Yeah, did that, you get that's the amazing. accelerated, or did you? Get... Uh, no, I didn't get the accelerated version. No. Yeah, I did. I did get that. I had to wait even longer. So. So you had to wait longer. Yeah, I had it now for like three months almost. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I've recently been playing the um, the arcade um, emulation on it. Well, more an emulation. It's like a. It's incredible. Like Donkey Kong on it. It's just oh. <laughs> stunning machine, stunning machine, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how the thing's going full circle. You know, it's like yeah, and uh, it's 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 got its quirks. I'm not gonna lie, it's not for everyone. It's, there's some bits to it like you really need to know your stuff to get the most out of this. Like yeah, yeah, you do. Um, but uh, yeah, I've actually got a I should put a 64 gigabyte memory card into it. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I was just formatting the card. Yeah. <laughs> Because one gig is not enough. You know, it's just, just not enough. How are you going to get all that Sid music on? I mean, just, yeah. You can have the whole archive of, of everything that was ever released for it on the one card. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just ridiculous. But um, no, what, what humble beginnings. But how have you found, you know, looking back on that and how things have changed? I mean, you said you set up, um, you did set up a big blue bubble in like the early 2000s. That's that's a bit of an epoch time, isn't it, for game development and stuff? Because that's when, the, you know, the iOS site appeared in 2007 and that kind of thing. I mean, how that that, that, that period, um, do, do you remember it called? Do you recall it much? Do you, what, what was your opinion of it? Because it's, it's come up a lot in this show. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, so I came here, like, in 99 in Canada. Uh, got first job in Digital Illusions, working on Battlefield franchise, and all these things become like first, obviously exciting to work on a big brand or something like that. But again, you are becoming more and more aware of how minimal is your impact on this major project, right? And that was also at the time, uh, early 2000, when the, the feature phones just started kind of, uh, first of all, screens finally changed to color screens, and they become somewhat viable uh, gaming platform. So we went into it right away, and that was my idea. When we were talking about Spectrum and all these things in the 80s, one core thing that Feature Phone had in common with it, obviously, 
like super low uh, power processing, like resolution and all the stuff, but also the fact that you can actually make the game on your own with a very small team, uh, potentially one artist, one programmer, right? You can have the whole commercial product out that you could have, couldn't have done for quite some time when you were working on a console or, or a PC game uh, uh, previous decade. So I decided, okay, that's going to be a very exciting thing. I can see this market's going up, and this is how we're going to start, right? It will lower barrier of entry to start developing mobile games. And this things picked up very quickly for us. First two games were very successful for us. Uh, uh, and uh, we got a lot of project work on with a lot of big brands, uh, uh, in these early days with all, all the major publishers. So it kind of helped us to learn the ropes, did a lot of different kinds of games. And it was very, very exciting because it were quickly, the average development cycle was like three to six months, right? So you will finish the game, you'll get them a new one. Uh, it, it was really a good time. Yeah. I do, I, people have to remind people, it's like, yeah, like you said, you know, 2004, 16 years ago. No, it's not. No, it is. It is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, that's not ten or five. It's sixteen. Like to remind people that World of Warcraft is like fifteen, sixteen years old. No, it's just oh god. <laughs> yeah. There's 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 a kid about to leave school almost, who's been playing. You know, that's in, yeah. Think about that. So, <laughs> um, it's just and it's it's okay. It's fine. You know, we had geometry wars and games like that appear at this time as well, and they were important. Oh, yeah. They're important. And, um, you know, the Xbox 360, that helped a huge amount. It's one of my favorite consoles, and even though it was uh, hardware-wise, it didn't fix itself until the very end of its life because um, I had three die on me, especially in GTA 4. Just, just, just terrible. But anyway, um, got it home, played it, fired it up, and then it just died. It's a red ring of death. Oh. Anyway, I know. Just, it's, it was an elite as well. They weren't supposed to do that, but no. It did. So I wasn't impressed. But let's move on to the next question, because you already answered the second one. Well done. The preemptive strike. I like it. <laughs> this one's this one's the, the infamous nebulous question that regular listeners will know. Go, oh, here we go. So um, I have to ask you, though, because it's important. It's important that you are a creator of things. Uh, big blue bubble. And I'll ask you... Ask this of you on behalf of the studio itself, but maybe, and also your, your, your personal views, but you can get a mixture of both. So here it is. As a creator of things, which is video games generally, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Uh, I'm not sure I quite understand it, uh, uh, the question itself. Influence Indeed, it's, of, it's, it's, it's remaining in the industry or, or overall... Yeah. Continuously. So the best way to frame it is this. Well, I can reframe it, re, re, restructure it. Is, um, there's something you orbit, something you gravitate towards, regardless of what happens. Every time you're making something, you find yourself orbiting this thing or things. And this is the one thing you find is the most satisfying, the most drives you on or influences the creation process itself. I just want to know if you think there is such a thing or if there are many things what what do you think is the most is the strongest thing that immediately springs to mind for you and your and your colleagues yeah it, it it's a very tough question because mm. I, I especially when you have a studio for such a long time i think this kind of change ch changes from project to projects uh right uh the, the 
obviously uh, every time the goal is really to amaze the players to for them to enjoy your product and, and to see that that, that that that's the main thing you want to do how you're going to approach this it really depends uh, uh a lot of cases that will be to be perfectly honest from a simply commercial perspective right we have to make the game and basically pay our bills but very often uh we will make a game that we really want to make whatever it takes and uh doesn't always come with a, a commercial success it always comes with a success though like we had games that won multiple awards and they've been extremely popular uh but uh, uh, get, get uh, all the praises from the critics, but commercially they didn't do so well, and vice versa. We had the game that we were happy with, but I didn't think it, they're going to be as big as they were. So these things are always kind of a mixed bag. So ultimately, one thing that keeps them all together, I would say, is like our our wish to to be to really amaze players, to allow them to play in some of uh, some kind of sandbox that we created. Uh, 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 go to the solution in, in, in a different ways and actually uh, finding themselves in that particular game. Uh, and second one would be probably close second would, would be uh, the creativity aspect of that. Are we creating something that's uh, that's really new and unique? Uh, that That's not been out uh, at the market and uh, very often we would go too far. We will create something very, very unique. Uh, uh, again, I won't go too far, but the, uh, being too uh, too unique and too original, it's not necessarily always a, a good measure for success of the final product. Uh, very good example of one of our games. It's called Burn the Rope. Uh, it's perceived as extremely successful because we had 100 million downloads of that game. Actually, this is, the, as far as I know, one of the first games that I... One million downloads in 24 hours. That was back in 2009. So only on iPhone, uh, uh, iPad didn't exist even at that time. So we had one million downloads in 24 hours. And in my opinion, being in this industry for 30 something years, playing like thousands and thousands of games, it's one of the most unique games ever created. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. It's basically you rotate your phone, you burn the rope, and you have to keep the flame going. So it was extremely. Uh, 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 unique and something new that's not been uh, done before it's uh, we got huge amount of press so we were in usa today uh, uh, all the features of, uh, from apple uh, and all the major websites and stuff that uh, created this huge influx of users and players for our game but this was perceived as something really gimmicky that was really cool to see but after the like week or so that's kind of started going down now ultimately at that point early days of free-to-play market. We didn't know how well to monetize that. So commercially, the game was not as successful as people would assume. Again, I think uh, maybe we'll go back to the way how you asked this question, what made most impact? So I would say this, maybe that's one of the games we did. And obviously, our, our biggest brand we, uh, we did that were successful, uh, My Singing Monsters. But they both had, uh, again, the same thing trying to create experience for, for the players and making sure they will enjoy that and just seeing them enjoying your product it's something that yeah you can't uh, get as easily uh, anywhere else except for uh, uh, video games and maybe to a certain degree art as well that was you? you did burn the rope? oh wow yeah. thank you <laughs> 
<laughs> that that what a game. That that's a you were the vanguard there. You were just yeah. It was not me. It was one of our designers came out with the idea. But yeah, our, our studio developed this, and that just basically exploded overnight. And yeah. uh, we did multiple sequels and stuff, and later on. But that was never like really huge commercially successful game as it was. That uh, I would assume uh, uh, something that brought something new to the uh, to the market. No, it it was trailblazing. People didn't know really what they were doing. Like. We've got this touchscreen, yeah, and well, can we make a lot of joystick? Don't do the, the, the joystick thing. Okay, well, uh, we can just touch things and inter- Oh, maybe we can do. We, I could put my fingers all over the screen and do weird stuff, and then you realise actually I don't want that. Want to hand away? Let's just do like light touches on something, and then then you know th- stuff like burn the rope and Cannabolt, you know the Infinite Runner. Um, that all these games are something that were made for that platform. You know, yeah. Super, Super Hexagon is one of my favourites, even though people detest it for reasons. I think Terry Cavanaugh did a great job on Super Hexagon. And um, Threes is one of my favourites. Oh, yeah, I love Threes. Yeah. <laughs> people think, oh, this is easy. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> no. This, is, this is maths. No, it's not. It's not maths either. <laughs> it's it's patterns. Patterns, everyone. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Formative years, though, 2009, people don't remember, they don't realise how important that, it's like a big ball of blame of creativity that suddenly exploded and lasted about three or four years, and uh, you were part of that, so thanks for, for contributing, appreciate it, and an excellent response as well, and you're right, you're right, you know, it's going to depend on what you're creating at the time, especially with a, a studio with a long life like yourself, you've been going for a while, and to ask what's your influence, it's like, I don't know. Ask me ten years from ten years ago, be completely different to what I'm telling you now, and it's fair. It's a fair response. That's a good one. So, next question. Next question. What developer you most admire in the industry, and why? Um, that will also probably go through the decades. My idols back in the eighties were Stomper Brothers and Ultimate Play the Game, of right? Course. Of course. <laughs> After the move to to Rare and stuff, I kind of stopped uh, tracking him for a while. It was not the same. Then uh, there's a lot of good PC title comes in the 90s that I I really loved. Uh, Probably someone like uh, Sid Meier would be probably, I would say, my famous, uh, uh, probably the designer that might the most in in 90s. After that, uh, um, I don't know... uh, Obviously Miyazaki with Dark Souls series, that's still something I can turn on and play like for I don't know how, uh, how many times and uh, year after year. So it's been more than a decade that they are going back to the, uh, his games. Uh, Ken Levine with the uh, whole Bioshock again in, in the previous decade as well. So it, it really uh, evolves a, a little bit, right? Uh, uh, there's not many designers that was they sta- stay, uh, I wouldn't say current, but... Uh, you know, you typically have period when you're very, very successful, and then at some points it's very hard to track the trends or, or, or uh, make the product on a different platform that will follow up your success that you have in a, in a previous generation, let's call it. So, yeah, I think it changes a lot. And today I can't really pinpoint a single studio, but every once in a while that someone comes up with something that's like such a 
pleasant surprise. I just got like two days ago. There's a game came out. I think on all the platform called Hunt Down. It's a oh yes, I it's need to play absolutely this. gorgeous. Like yeah. uh, so, so, you know, that. That's the thing I like. Like the studio that I never heard of comes up with a game that I never heard of before. Just check it out. Okay, screenshots looks good. Start playing it. I'm really enjoying it. So yeah. I think that's the thing I appreciate the most. That surprise. Obviously, all the games then the big. Big titles you're expecting. I expecting several else, like from Cyberpunk and everything coming up this year, right? But there's small things that 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 will surprise you out of nowhere. That, uh, that's the thing I appreciate in this industry the most as yeah. a player. Yeah, absolutely. That's a game I need to get onto. You're right. I keep on, I keep on going through the Epic Games store. I need to play that, don't I? <laughs> I need. I think he's on the Switch store as well. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's on, on the co- all the consoles. I got it on PS4, so it's oh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I have all of the things too. It just depends on what. Play a lot of Animal Crossing, you see. So sometimes <laughs> I go flick it on and go. Oh, just get me away from those raccoons just for a little bit, please. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, excellent response. You're right. Depends on what time of decade you're asking the question. And yeah, Ultimate were amazing, and Jetpack still holds up to this day. Oh, absolutely, yeah, all the versions and everything. So I just posted recently on Facebook. Actually, I do have complete collection of Jetpack. You know, there's like twenty six releases all together. I know it's on the Vic Twenty. It's amazing on the Vic Twenty. Oh yeah, that's probably the lowest power platform that they managed to pull it off. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, just stunning, stunning. Yeah. One of my favourite ports, favourite ports of Jetpack is on the Vic Twenty. But uh, you, do you have the ROM as well? Then the, the ROM oh cartridge? yeah, of course. <gasps> yeah, I do have everything from Ultimate uh, uh, play, play the game that they managed to get, especially the Japanese rare releases. Those are very very hard to find. Yeah, yeah. That replay collection though is really good. Rare replay collection on the Xbox that was. Good. Yeah, yeah. There were some ports that weren't quite right, like you know, Bad Fur Day wasn't. But other than that, yeah, it, it was tough to do this because yeah, it was done on Nintendo. But like original games from Nightshade and uh, Night Lore and all these things yeah, yeah. playing perfectly, yeah. But yeah, Night Lore's a game that we could just go on and on about because people <laughs> don't know, don't know how you really need to. Sorry, I'm going to go off on one. So would you? But that game, it's it's. I'm not sure if the rumor was true that they held off releasing that game because they thought it was going to harm the sales of their other games it may or may not be true but I'm going to say it is uh, <laughs> so speaking of games that we're playing my um, last question for the first half um, is this what are you playing right now? strangely enough I'm playing uh, uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands the, the two year old version of, of it I, somehow I missed this uh, originally and I said, okay, I'm going to go through it. It is really big, yeah, and I do enjoy it. Nice. What what particularly draws you to that particular? Because I've never played. I haven't played a Grease Recon game in years, probably decades. Uh, it's progression style that I like. This is like uh, uh, most of the Far Cry games, and even new Assassin's Creed now. Oh, now Ubisoft started doing it in a similar way. So this is a type of progression that I like the most. That has kind of multiple ways of, of, of progression and actually drives you forward so you're constantly seeing something new uh world is relatively believable and uh yeah i, I like that and you play it on your own or with friends or something or? Uh, no i'm playing it on my own uh, that's the thing uh 
I'm I was never big on especially not on co-op games at all like even with, with my kids I, I will play just you know to make them happy <laughs> uh, I think it's the fact that if, if if you start playing games in the 80s it was not a social experience it was social experience more more in the sense of uh, sure we all gather around one friend that had a computer at home or, or a console right and play games but then we'll typically take our turns there was not that many multiplayer games at that point I started playing much more there uh, at the Doom time, and later on, obviously, when I was in DICE, I played a lot of Battlefield and uh, a lot of competitive games. And today, I just, I'm just uh, not good enough to play any of these games competitively. No, it's the hand-to-eye coordination, isn't it? It's so frustrating. Yeah, it's just not no. there anymore. I can't compete no. with the kids today, and I would rather just not try. <laughs> no, it's like I do say this little stories, like, you know, your thumb's resting on the button, and your, your brain's going, uh, can you press the button? And the thumb's going... <laughs> What? Could, could you press the button now? What button? The one you're resting on. This button? Yeah, that one. Could you, could you press it now? Yeah. What, now? <sighs> and that's basically because of age. That's the conversation our brain is having with our fingers now. Like, could, could you could you move the... Th- what, now? Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the way I can describe it. You know, I completely relate to that. Like, yes, could you do that now? So... Nowadays, I'm playing like you, fast sprawling epic game. Uh, like I love my Stellaris because there's no, you know, there's no reaction involved. It's just this vast empire you're trying to build or not, as the case may be. Um, and you know, the, the, so the, the, the games like Civ and stuff like that, you don't need fast reactions. You just need um, maths in your head to build those models. But uh, yeah, and also if you, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna check that out because if you're playing Ghost Recon like that. I never played it, and I'm sure it's very cheap now. So I'll have a look. So, yeah, yeah it, it's worth trying, especially the old one. I think the, uh, I liked it because I tried the new one. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it's called, but it's the, one, the one, one. one from 2017, I think it was. Yes. It's pretty yes. much better. Yeah, I'll I'll have a look at that. Cool. Well, that's in the first half. Well done. Good. It's um, delving this going to the second half now, where we delve deep into Forgone. So, 
Demir, could you tell How us, please? How deep do you want to go? Yeah, yeah, how deep do you want to go? Well, depends. Oh, yeah. It's both um, a, a metaphor and actually how deep do we go in Forgone. But uh, please, before we can do that, Demir, we need to explain, we need to put, if you could try, in your own words, and I wish you the very best of luck with this because I've struggled. What is Forgone? Uh, it's a platform game. Yes. Where the core of the game is based on combat, uh, and everything else fo- follows the uh, uh, s- certain leads, so to speak, from from a lot of different genres. There's a little bit here of Dark Souls. There's a little bit here of, of uh, uh, roguelike. Uh, so the elements that we think they will fit very well in this kind of. Uh, uh, Castlevania style of, of the game, we, we try to include them and uh, make something that, that will be coherent. Yeah, I think that's and it's an action adventure ultimately, narratively driven, which is wonderful. Yes, and, and the central character right. is great. She's, you know, she's kind of resigned to things and she's very wise. She's seen stuff. I mean, when the game opens up, she's. There's a backstory there that did not reveal because of the state of the game at the moment, but uh, it's very early on that a thing appears and they're like, well, how did that happen? You know, <laughs> why is that? I, I dealt with that. What's that? You know, it's just... <laughs> why is that free now? I just... Oh, fine. And uh, it's very well, beautifully put together. That's the thing. The there is much is. more, though, but I, I don't want to spoil know. it for you either, so... No, no. There's... There's some things I would rather not comment on that, that, that you mentioned because, yeah, uh, I think you will be disappointed if I, if I tell you some things. But yes, things will happen in a I game, know. you know, that and we you are expect. Gonna, absolutely, Demir. And uh, the thing about this show is we don't like talking about content that much um, for that reason. Least of all a game like Forgone. Um, we, we'd be, it'd be folly to actually delve into the uh, narrative and the story content without grazing over it in a kind of abstract way or describing it objectively. And for me to describe the character is perfectly valid because she is what she is. She, a very seasoned um, soldier um, and combatant. That's not an inaccurate description of what she is. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, see what I mean? It doesn't really reveal anything. It's just that's who she is. And she's very, 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 very competent. Uh, we've given the right weapon. So... <laughs> Um, one of the things um, that struck me about Foregone, aside from, maybe because of, I don't know, is the fluidity of movement and uh, um, speed of which the game trucks along at. It's not that fast, actually. It's actually one of the slower games of this genre, which I appreciate because there's you need to slow down sometimes to see what, where you're supposed to be going. In many games like this, um, like... Um, uh, Black Future Eight Hundred Eight, for example, we've had them on the show. That game, you just could keep moving, keep moving. If you don't, you're gonna die. Keep, keep moving. Um, whereas in Foghorn, no, it's okay to just take a rest up and go. Right, where do I need to go now? And that feels a little bit like you know Super Metroid in that regard. Like, right, what am I supposed to do? Oh yeah, I'll go up there, and that's fine, and that's fine. But um, my first design question to you is this: there is two forms of attack. Um, there's the melee attack with variety of weapons. It could be from a very heavy sword like a falchion or right down to a pair of daggers, which is very, very quick and, and rapid contact or other, other weapons you pick up along the way. 
Um, but then the ranged weapons, which again can range from <laughs> vary from, I should say, from a bow to a shotgun. Um, two points really on this, on the on the ranged weapon. You probably know where I'm going with this, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, why is it auto? Why is it auto aim? Because that struck me as like, oh, I've got a ranged weapon, I've got to aim, don't I? Oh wait, I don't. And that threw me. And I think I know why, but you you give me an idea of why why it's auto aim. Or just like auto you know, within reason. And also why is there so you know, the, the 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 ammunition you can't store it up, you can't have racks and racks of ammunition. That's a sub question because it's very obvious why. Um but um yeah, tell us what why did you go with that? Why did you have the auto snap? Okay, if you got if you can see an enemy and they're within range, you probably can blow them up. Why did you do that? Sure, I will try to find the best analogy I've heard was like when people talk about capitalism and how it sucks, and it's really not good, but it's still better than any other types <laughs> of society we can live in. So, Indeed. in a similar way, I understand the issues of auto aim. Uh, that being said. As you can imagine, we tried so many different things, and there's nothing that worked as well as this. No. Uh, it definitely everything else that uh, that allow you to have any kind of aiming will create uh, either completely different feel of playing, different pace, and everything that that just breaks the whole concept that we had in the first place. Second one would be for potentially having always aim straight and stuff. Uh, it doesn't work with the layouts uh, uh, and the way how we're designing the layout. So it just uh, feels even more constraining uh, than it is. So we decided to go with this auto aim that takes a while to get used to it, uh, but in some cases it will actually help you because you won't be uh, able to otherwise uh, uh, get to the, the, the certain enemy. And that's why we kind of balance this with a variety of... Uh, Range weapons, not a variety, not just obviously in sense of power, sense of how the projectiles are going and how fast they are, and all these things. Try to kind of do rock paper scissors around that. And the second sub question was about replenishing the ammo. I think mm. it was kind of it is kind of a weird solution, and I don't even know who come this one of our designers came up with this because. Everything else, picking up the ammo, we just didn't want to create a new currency, right? So we're speaking, that would be ammo. Uh, but, but in a way, it, it is. We don't want to separate drops or anything like that. We can't give you unlimited because it totally changes the balance of the game and all the enemies and everything. So we decided, okay, we'll just kind of force the player to engage in some kind of melee combat in order to get the ammo back. And it is plenty of ammo uh, if you go and actually hit a couple of enemies. So... Uh, that was thought about. Neither of this is like the great solution, but everything else. Like obviously, we played hundreds and hundreds of other games and tried to figure out how how they did it. And all the solutions would be very, very weak in in our particular case uh, if we wanted to implement something like that. For me, there's other two aspects which uh, I would add to your to reasons why this is. And the 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 great decision. It's a wonderful decision. It's, I'm not criticising it at all. So I wanted to talk about it because I was really impressed with this idea. Why would she miss? <laughs> she, she, she's got a ranged weapon. It's kind of what? unlikely she'd miss, considering how experienced and how she is actually built to be what she is. She's not going to miss. So thematically, it works. 
Can I steal your uh, answer to this when people are asking us? That's uh, excellent. I didn't even think about that way, but you are yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, what would she miss? Wouldn't make no sense. Wayne's weapon, pretty close range. This isn't this isn't XCOM. Ninety <laughs> percent <laughs> range, you know. One, one. Oh no, you missed. What? What? Well, the, you and I know why, because it's Laser Squad, and da, 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 we know why that come. Where the where the where the origins of that come from? We know it's fine. <laughs> We're cool with that, but unfortunately, younger generations not so much. That's fine. Um, the second point is about fluidity and movement and reward, and you messing up the screen full of enemies and you're pressing those buttons and you're just in the zone and having that taken away that added fiddle nonsense of oh wait I've got to stop now I've got to aim my gun hang on here we go okay I've done it oh missed it's just it goes against the 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 ethos of foregone in my humble opinion and that is why it's there whether it's consciously you did that but I definitely believe it helps with the fluidity of movement and the sense of, like, well, look, I know that's there. I can see that. If I get up in that range, I'll leap up, shoot it a couple of times. Maybe if I've got a shotgun, I'll do take it out completely, spin around, duck, punch the other thing in the world, then shoot that thing in the face a couple of times. It's all about movement and fluidity when you're engaging combat because that is what foregone shines at, is the, the fluidity of movement in combat. So I think the auto-aim helps with that. Uh, yes, that, that's right, and I can speak a little bit about this fluidity moment. I'm not 100% sure if the latest build that uh, on Epic has actually uh, uh, using weapon and uh, uh, in the air. I think it might not. The next build will definitely no, no, have. No, not in the air. You're absolutely right. But actually landing on a platform, shooting, and then punching and stuff. I mean, you can you can hit when you're moving. It's just I'm trying to describe a scenario where you actually get into a place where uh, you can't quite shoot or you can't quite get the right uh, elevation, but once you once you jump on and find a smaller platform or you can actually get onto the platform itself and then take a few shots and then... Because you just don't have to worry about it. It will deliver damage. It won't be as much as you hitting them with a nunchuck or something or a great broadsword, but it will be sufficient enough, and especially with the smaller enemies that generally, um, the, as the game progresses, they become more and more aggressive, as as you'd expect. Um, the range weapon having auto aim is a is a is a is a blessing and not a curse. Uh, yes, I, I think one of the problems that I noticed for myself personally, but I think a lot of people as well, is people. St- uh, uh, and I have to mention it uh, if this context because it's been brought up a lot of time is is a dead cells. We all played this game to death, like like everyone played this game, right? It was so popular, it was so well done. So you certainly you have some kind of muscle memory already, and you're used to certain type way of playing things. And if you want to design something different, it's not as easy to kind of get into this kind of different groove. All of a sudden, this is slightly different pace. You don't have this pressure, maybe finishing this and a couple of things, and then goes with the movements as well. So. One of the things uh, uh, we wanted to do, obviously, with our weapon working a bit different than there. Uh, on the top of that, uh, we really care about uh, the uh, fluidity of the movement in general and overall look and feel of the of the game. I would say, if I have to choose one distinguishing factor uh, for uh, uh, in, in this genre, that that will kind of put us a step above. Uh, 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 
all our competitors in this particular genre is the really visuals on that. That's why we decided to do it totally different way, not do it pixel art for multiple reasons. First of all, I don't think it will be feasible to, to do it uh, such a huge amount of art as we did uh, uh, amount of frames uh, and everything. So all, all our characters are rendered in 3D and uh, through the filter uh, uh, put down to look like pixel. Obviously, have all the shadow maps and everything on them, so they will be affected by lights and stuff. We're getting this really very nice look and feel. But the main thing is a game is really running 60 frames per second. I mean, all the other games are... Uh, uh, running 60 frames per second, but it doesn't mean every frame looks different, right? Character will look the same in two or three frames for most of the other platform games. For us, if you take any YouTube video or something, try to analyze any jump or anything frame by frame, you will see there is actual movement in, in every frame. It's something that you, uh, as you play this, you feel, okay, this feels really fluid and smooth, but it's very hard to pinpoint why is that. Not even technically, why does it feel different than uh, some other games that are in, in the same genre. So I would say this is probably the most distinguishing factor that we uh, try to achieve with uh, uh, this game. Because like I said at the beginning, we remember like we said, okay, we're going to go with the most saturated genre on PC with our first title uh, 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 on PC and console after so, so many years, all right? Only way to actually be successful there is to do something that, that's really, really good. So hopefully we'll get there. Well, it caught my eye at uh, PAX East a couple of years ago when it first appeared, and hence you and I are now talking. So, yes, I think that you, you've done that. You've definitely, um, you know, uh, put your head above the parapet and go, that's cool, but what about this? That's great. So I want to talk about risk-reward, kind of. Well, more to the point, pushing one's luck. Um, in Foregone, there's definitely a sense, I feel... The structure of the game with the um, recall points and where you... We haven't really spoken about this yet, but uh, there are recall points that you can actually go into. It's a bit like a campfire in Dark Souls. Um, and you, go yeah. to, and you have to go to the base and you can get all your stuff together. You can get your... You can upgrade skills, the massive skill tree. It's yeah, it's um, it's not Path of Exile, but that, that's, a, that's insane, that skill tree. <laughs> but it's it's pretty impressive. Uh, multi-layered, I'm happy to say, um, and also your own gear. You get better stuff, and you even get purple stuff. I'm not sure if you get orange stuff, maybe, but uh, you know, I do. I have picked up some orange purple stuff during my my time with it, which is nice. Uh, and you can upgrade it to a cost, and you pick up coins. And what I'm talking about is that if you die, you lose half of that potentially. Well, you will. Um, but if you um, get to a point where I was at a point where I was maybe two, three screens, if you like, or map areas away from the save, from the recall point, and I only had about 40 health left, maybe 30. And the screen was going red, flashing away. I think, well, I could carry on. <laughs> I probably should really go back, because there's no, you know, there's no real, my, my health regenerator wasn't there. And, uh, I could, so what I'm asking you is, how have you designed foregone in such a way to encourage the sense of progression against um you know uh encouraging the player to basically push their luck in terms of progress and giving them a sense of you know that that reward of managing to push their way through a seemingly insurmountable odds because the enemies do get very difficult in some parts 
Um, how have you designed the levels or the game itself to facilitate this sense of actually you could push push further or maybe you shouldn't? What have you what have you done to communicate that, if anything? Yeah, there, there's multiple sort of speaking loops inside of that because uh, what we wanted to do with this game is have a relatively broad audience as opposed to maybe something like Dark Souls that, like I mentioned before, I'm uh, playing like constantly, right, for the last 10 years. Uh, that was, very, I would say, very hard and very, uh, there's much more risk of moving forward in Dark Souls series, right, to the uh, uh, next bonfire. But you already know the audience playing that game, they're really hardcore players. We want to capture a little bit more someone, not, not necessarily casual players, but people that are maybe not as good as platform games and stuff. So we wanted to give them a little bit of ability to do certain grinding and stuff in order to progress forward. And in order for other players that are actually really good at that, uh, they might have a very easy time going to the first biome or maybe even part of the second one. But at some point, you're going to get stuck. Okay, I got through all this and I'm managing to get through uh, one save point to the next save point, and I'm already there. But all of a sudden, I can't find the next wave of enemies just because they're too strong for me. Reason being, I didn't kill enough enemies before because I was trying to avoid them as much as possible, right, to progress uh, fast. Now I didn't have enough drops. I didn't have uh, uh, upgraded my weapons enough. You know, so I have to do something in, in order to 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 get there. So I, I believe everyone will kind of uh, at certain point if you don't play what I would call uh, average or, or or a regular pace, right? You will probably get to, to the point when the game gonna become too hard for you, and you have to think about it. Okay. I have to really strategize a little bit more. Is this the best ability I should have equipped for, for this particular biome, right? Should I upgrade this and this uh, uh, part of the skill tree in order to get easier through that? So something you don't think about early on, or maybe as much, or because it's a little bit less important, but as you're getting towards the end of the game, and again, I don't want to spoil surprise, but there's a lot of stuff coming towards the end of the game. Uh, I mean, I do get the impression it's, it's so frustrating to talk about. It's like, I oh, really want to talk about this stuff, but you're right. We can't. We have to talk about it in abstract terms, and I'm, you know, and it's fine. And there's there's nothing problem with that. And you're and you're right. Um, you have balanced the game for all sorts of players. You have everyone from who is um, you know playing games, but not as much as many others are, and spending hundreds of hours on playing or replaying uh, games, and that's fine. But you have the other sort of audience that are educated and but are basically time, you know, time poor. And like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll tell you what, I'll just, I'll just grind through this and just smash my way through because I earned the right to get to this spot. And this is what I was trying to get at, really, is, is the sense of progression you get you earn the right to be in the place you eventually get to because you fought your way to get there and i think that's what that's what four gun does a really good job of doing of rewarding the player with perseverance and understanding what's going on um so the next question i have um is uh related to something you hinted at earlier it's really I find Foregone has got a tactical game more than most platformers um, in that you do have to assess the situation you're faced with and actually change up your gear to reflect that 
Was this intentional? Well, I would say you have to, but definitely you have a lot of advantages doing that because we have a kind of similar uh, methodology like uh, Miyazaki had, for example, when designing Sekiro that I played and I, for example, couldn't finish it. I have to uh, 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 basically cheat you know, uh, and uh, use the cheese for some of the bosses in order to get to, to the game because it was just for me, my skill level, my reflexes is too hard. So what he did, he... He required from his designers when the designing boss or something that you have to be able to uh, beat it with your knife or starting weapon you know, without any upgrade. So we're doing the same thing with someone who's real skillful like our QA team, right? You you have to be able to do this like with no upgrades or or, or anything just to make sure, okay, it is actually doable. Uh, but you're, uh, you're right, like uh, your equipment load, your skills, even the uh, program... Uh, three of upgrades, it, it really makes a difference for the certain biomes and certain levels, how quickly you can go uh, uh, through it and how easy it's going to be to beat them. There's been situations where, like, I need a bow for this. <laughs> and, like, yeah, because I want, like, yeah, long-range precision shots. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Or I need the shotgun because I need to take out a lot of enemies very quickly. Um, whilst um, doing some, you know, there's, there's a cluster of them or a certain type. They have a certain type of attack, and I want to take them out quickly because their attacks are annoying or def or, or deadly um, and difficult to dodge. Um, but uh, I just found it interesting that there's a level of tactics in a, in a platform action action adventure game which wasn't expecting at all. So thanks for that. That's quite a nice surprise. You're right; it's not required. It does make life a lot easier if you do actually switch things up and make it because you can just alter your you alter your loadout depending on the uh, foes you face and where they are as well. So it's cool. Last question then. Uh, so uh, all good things come to an end. But, um, I want to talk about the um, enemies in Forgone. Um, I found that many of them, especially the melee ones, you need to time your attacks in order to basically avoid any damage. I love one of the most satisfying things about Forgone is figuring out, like, okay, about to launch an attack against me, I'll just dodge out of the way or jump over him and then take him out, you know, from behind or flanking. Um, can you take us a typical, take us through, like, a design sort of strategy, how you've gone through developing these these creatures without, of course, spoiling too much? What's your initial thought process? How have you found developing these creatures? Sure. So you have some ge generic idea how you're going to set them up, what their attack's going to be, what will be the speed of their attack ranges and all this stuff, right? What will be their moving patterns? Put this in place, put this in a level you design, and then you see after a while, okay, it's just okay. It's not super exciting uh, after playing this for a while. So, so, so we were struggling for that. Once you figure out how to uh, pass certain enemies, you just repeat this thing, right? So best way for us was really to combine them in, in, in a group. We figured out that works amazing. Sure, I have a way how we can get this enemy very, very quickly, but there's another gunner on the side that's going to catch me if I do it this way. So with this combination of setting them up in, in a different packs, so to speak, in different groups, or placing multiple, we created so many different uh, 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 Varieties that you really need to have a little bit different tactics. Sometimes for the same enemy, you cannot basically beat him the same way you used to just because there's someone else who's guarding it at the same time. Of course, a little bit comes to that then restructuring layout of the 
uh, of the map uh, as well, but typically positioning uh, of the enemies properly, and then of course fine tuning every single attack they have and, and uh, your moves with that. It was there was a lot of work with that. You get this like enemies walking around and attacking you very very quickly, but in order to fine tune that, that that really take a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, um, it's um. I can tell there's a lot of effort being put into the design and construction, and I just wanted to highlight the, the difficulties you might well, ask you what kind of thought processes you put behind actually developing those. And um, yeah, it really shows. It really shows you've actually tried and put some thought and effort into because they're really imaginative. And some of them are like, wait, you're doing what? Well, there's one particular creature you encounter quite early on that I wasn't expecting. Like, what's that thing? It looks like a, a thing that does the thing and oh god and then all of a sudden you know I almost got killed as a result of it tried to swipe me um, I think you probably don't know what I'm talking about it's kind of orange in colour I'll leave it at that oh the crab like the, the crab thing yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like oh it's kind of like a spawn point oh god <laughs> that really I remember seeing that a few months back and I was like oh that's funny that's good nicely done um, because that's you know you you by then you're in a full sense of security like oh I know this this is oh no oh no and that's great to keep keep the player on their toes and like oh you think you've got this you think you know this is going on <laughs> no you don't you haven't got a clue so um, excellent stuff well foregone by uh, Big Blue Bubble by the way where's the name of the studio come from may I ask. Uh, it comes from everything else was already taken by the time I came up with this. <laughs> that is. So I start googling for the names and keep in mind that was I think I came up with this name in two thousand one or two thousand two, and oh, all, I... back then everything was taken. Uh, all the ideas I, I had, or <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do like asking that question. You get a variety of answers. Um, some of them is like I don't know, it's in a pub, in the back of a napkin. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. So, cool, okay. Anyway, uh, Foregone is out now, um, early access, on Windows PC. And uh, I believe it's heading to other platforms, is it not? Yeah, October 5th, we're launching on uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo, and and, uh, uh, full release, obviously, on PC as well, uh, on Epic Store. Nice, nice. Interesting time to be releasing, because that's just before, maybe, who knows, possibly, (laughs) yeah, uh, the new machines arrive, maybe, I don't know, considering what's going on right now, but uh, we do live in an interesting time, the end of the, just generation, which I can't believe they're five, six years old now, but they are, I can't, I can't, but they are, they're that old now, I just, I still remember getting the launch PS4, which I don't have anymore, I've got a pro now, but, bloody hell. (laughs) There we go. Time. Time. Um, Demir, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Uh, Same here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad you did. Uh, you're more than welcome to come back because we've had a lot of return guests, I'm happy to say, because we've been around a while. And uh, so to come back and tell us about your new project, whatever that may be, after Foregone, there's, 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 you know, a release and stuff and you come back and, I don't know, could be anything. Yeah, maybe when we do the port for the Spectrum next. <laughs> yes, that'll work. That will work. <laughs> uh, we jest, but it's kind of got the kind of, kind of same power as an Amiga, if you look at it. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, no. no, it's not. Uh, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Anyway, uh, it's, like I said, 
great to have you on. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure talking to you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canandrinse.com. <laughs>